What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. His blood can wash away each stain. How does that happen? When did that occur? How does it work? And that's what we're gonna study here tonight as we look at Psalm 22, please turn to that. Our passage here, our message on Psalm 22 and verse 15. His blood can wash away each stain, how? Psalm 22, verse 15, let's start reading there. Psalm 22, 15. My strength, he speaks, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. We've been studying this psalm, Psalm 22, and it's, a, it's almost like you hesitate really to do, say anything about the psalm because the psalm is so solemn because no other place in the Bible brings to us in such vivid details exactly what the Lord Jesus suffered when he became the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which takes away, which took away our sins, as John called him in John 1.29. And of all the descriptions of just what he went through, maybe the one that is the most shocking, the one that is the most descriptive is when he looked and assessed himself in verse six and he said about himself, I am a worm and no man. He just looked at himself and he said, I'm no longer a man. I'm no longer a human because he was so destroyed from the whipping of the whips with the cat of nine tails that tore the flesh off of his body, that, that, and the, the jar of the being dropped into the, into the, uh, into the socket, the cross, the, 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 the cross that effectively became a torture rack, resulting in dislodgement when he said, of all my bones were out of joint, 
And so he, this happens to him. He looks at himself and he says, I'm not a man anymore. I'm no longer a man. His face, it was his face that was so scarred and destroyed that it was hardly recognizable. As a matter of fact, in the chapter before Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, 14, Isaiah 50, 14, it's talking about people who saw his face and it said, as many, as many were astonished, astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. That means when people saw him on the cross, they saw his face, they were just shocked at his face because it was so destroyed. When they saw his body, just the shape of his body, it was so deformed, more than any other man had ever been from the beatings. And what was amazing about the sufferings that he went through is that he gave himself. Yes, as, uh, as Brent quoted, God so loved the world. This is a time of Thanksgiving because God gave, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he, the Lord Jesus, poured out his soul unto death. He gave himself. No man took his life away. He said in Isaiah 50, verse 6, Isaiah 50, verse 6, he said, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He willingly gave his back to the smiters. He said, here, here's my back. I'll give it to you. I'll turn it to you. And he willingly gave his face to be so abused. And so when it was talking in Isaiah 53 about his condition on the cross, it said in the beginning of that chapter in verse 2, Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah 53, 2, it says, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form. He has no form, nor comeliness. And when we should see him, there's no beauty. There's no beauty that we should desire him. This was the physical part of his torture. But he was also put to the soul pain of having God separate from him and also the, uh, the pain of being shamed and the pain of being mocked. And the worst mockery of all was when he was mocked for his hope in God when they said he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. So let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And then this whole thing occurred to him. And what was also amazing was that with all of the beatings and all of the rack and so forth, none of his bones were broken. All of his bones were kept intact, just as it says, the prophecy says in Psalm 3420. Psalm 3420, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. That's what was referred to in the description of the crucifixion in the John chapter 19 account. John 19, 36, when it says, for these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And then he spoke about, as he was approaching death, he talked about being brought into the dust of death. What's the dust of death? The dust of death, the smell of death, the, that place up there, Calvary, the place of death. And he says, I'm being brought into the dust of death. And when he's saying this, it's a throwback to Genesis 3.19, Genesis 3.19, where God told Adam after he had sinned, in the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. That happened because Adam sinned against the Lord. Sin brought Adam into the dust of death, and sin brought the Lord Jesus into the dust of death, but it was not his sin. It was not his sin. It was our sin that brought him into the dust of death. 
And then in verse 16, he describes the crucifixion. This is such a gra- this is the most graphic description of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. Verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. And what's so remarkable about this verse here is the fact that, that it's not referenced in the New Testament. I mean, this is the most accurate, this is the most vivid description of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. This verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet, it's not referenced. There's no reference in the New Testament to it. It's almost as if God just purposefully kept a, sort of like as if God just sort of drew a curtain over this verse and just said, just to emphasize how solemn it is. It's not that the, Old Test- that the New Testament is silent about the crucifixion, about the prophecy of the crucifixion. No, there is a prophetic reference to the crucifixion in the New Testament. It's, again, John chapter 19, John chapter 19, when it says that, that John 19, 34, 19, 34, one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, forthwith came there out blood and water. He that saw it bear record, his record is true. He knoweth what he saith is truth, that he, he might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. The bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. That's the only reference in the New Testament to the prophecy of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. And that's amazing. Why? And it's not this verse. Verse 16. What's amazing about it is what it is referring to, the passage that it's referring to. What's referring to is the piercing of the crucifixion and how the piercing of the crucifixion is going to be the trigger that's going to bring about the national repentance of the Jewish people. Boy, you don't want to see that. It says, and this, so this verse that's being referenced in John chapter 19, verse 37, is looking back on Zechariah 12.10. In Zechariah 12.10, it says there, God speaking, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. When when the Jewish people, when Israel, when they see the pierced hands and feet of the Lord, they're going to realize their role in that piercing. That's going to be the national repentance of Israel when they're going to say, oh no, we did it. We did that. That's going to be when Israel as a nation is going to say, we pierced his hands and his feet when we turned him over to the Romans to do it. When we cried out, let him be crucified. And that will be Israel's first response, his pierced hands and feet. That's going to happen, and when that occurs, that's going to be so dramatic, that's coming, that's going to be so dramatic that Israel as a nation is going to be born again. And God speaks about the wonder of that in Isaiah 66.7. Isaiah 66.7, when it says, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she delivered. She was delivered of a man-child. Who hath heard of such a thing? Who hath seen such thing? Shall the earth be made to brought forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? 
As for as for Zion, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. God calls that time when Israel is going to look on him whom they have pierced as a time when a nation is going to be born at once. That's when the nation's going to be born again at once. And this is the only reference in the New Testament to the prophecy of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. This is the only reference in the New Testament to the piercing of his hands and feet. That's the day when Israel is going to be born as a nation, spiritually born. It's going to be when they see the hands, when they see the feet of the Lord, and they're going to realize what that means for them. There was a little girl one time who was sitting by her mother's side, and she was staring at her mother's right hand because her right hand was twisted and was deformed and she couldn't use it. It was unusable. And so the girl asked her mother, why is, your hand, why is that hand different from your other hand? And so the mother explained to the daughter and said that, well, you know, when you were a little baby and when you were sleeping in your cot, you know, one day the cot caught on fire. And so I was so desperate that I ran and I tore the curtains off the window, and I pressed those curtains into the flame, and I wrapped you. And when I did that, my, this right hand got so burned that I can't use it, became deformed. Now, can you just imagine how every time that little girl looked at the deformed hand of her mother, of what that spoke to her, as, a, as she looked at that hand and said, that's the sign of my mother's love for me. This is the second response that Israel is going to have when they look at the hands of the Lord Jesus. Their first response, Zechariah 12.10, was they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him. But after their repentance, they're going to realize the second response, which is going to be now they're going to say, we understand Isaiah 53.6. They understand. They're going to say, now we know, yes, we are the sheep, all we like sheep. We are the sheep of Isaiah 53, 6, that went astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We are the sheep that everyone chose his own way to. We have turned everyone to his own way. And then they're going to understand, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, that's going to be wonderful. That's going to be a wonderful day. We're really looking forward to that day, especially Brent when he goes out door to door to the Jewish people and they say, no, thank you, and slam the door. He's looking forward. Are you looking forward to that day, Brent? You're looking forward to that day. And so the question really becomes, that's kind of interesting, but, but, but the question becomes, uh, what's the reason for this? In other words, how is it, why is this going to happen, that Israel is going to be, back, to be brought back to God? And so I was thinking about that, and it reminded me of when I, when I married my wife, Cheryl, my infamous non-Jewish wife, Cheryl. And when I did that, for me and my family, I committed the unforgivable sin of marrying somebody who wasn't Jewish and for which I was cut off. People said, oh, you were cut off because you were a Christian. No, I wasn't. Truth be truth. I was cut off because I married somebody who wasn't Jewish. Christian, that was just a frosting on the cake. But that was, anyway. anyway, that's the way it was. My family said to me, have a nice life. Well, you know, I was pretty mad, I'll be honest with you. I was angry. I was very mad. And I said to myself, okay, if that's the way that they're going to treat me, then sign me up for the University of Goy. I said, I'll become a Gentile. I'll, I'll, be, I'll get a degree in being a Gentile. That's what I'll do. I was finished with them. That was it. I was done. I was finished. Fine. That's me. But that was not the response of my wife. And my wife, Cheryl, said, oh, no. I married into a Jewish family, and into a Jewish family I will be. So unbeknownst to me, 
Cheryl started sending my father gifts and letters, and, and, and as a result of that, the relationship got restored. And, and I remember one day where we were all sitting together at dinner at, with my father, and, and my father was pointing at me and pointing at Cheryl, and, and he said, we are reconciled back together, not because of you, but because of her. That's what he said. Not because of you, because of her. All right? That's the way it was for Israel. That's the way it is for Israel. You would think that when one person walks away from a relationship, that both persons just walk away and said, fine, there's a new life of independence from each other. It's a new beginning without each other. And Israel did that. Israel walked away. Israel divorced itself from God. But God did not walk away. And God commented on how he did not walk away in Isaiah 49, 14. Isaiah 49, 14, when God said, but Zion said, Israel said, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will not I forget. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. So Cheryl said, oh no, I married into a Jewish family and into a Jewish family I will be. Now listen to what God said. Cheryl said that, but listen to what God said in Jeremiah 3.12, Jeremiah 3.12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city. Israel walked away from God, and but God said, oh no, I married Israel, and to Israel I will be married. And this, is the, and this is the why, this is the issue here when you look at verse 16 and realize that this is the trigger point, they pierced my hands and my feet to Israel repenting and coming back. But the place that's referenced, as I was mentioning in the New Testament, is the Zechariah 12.10, which refers to the national conversion of Israel. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, Zechariah 12.10. So bringing Israel to God or back to God is such a priority for God that he speaks, that is spoken about in the context of the resurrection in Acts 5.30, Acts 5.30, where it says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give to Israel repentance and forgiveness of sin. The conversion of Israel is so important to God that it's stated as a priority for the re of the resurrection. It's just like God saying, okay, okay, the Lord Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Now we got work to do. We got to bring Israel back to repentance. Just this last week, I was telling a person that what I do is try to bring Jewish people to the Lord Jesus, and that person says to me, yeah, and how's that going? <laughs> I said about as easy as using your head to try to knock down a concrete wall. <laughs> and so naturally the question comes up, well, why do you keep doing it? Like I've told you before, the Jewish newspaper in Baltimore commenting on, on my efforts and, and Israel restoration says, it's a dismal failure. Not just a failure, a dismal failure. It's even worse. So why do I keep doing it? A dismal failure. The answer is, is because it's such a priority with God. And Israel may say, and they did say, the words of John 19.15, John 19.15, away with him, away with him. 
in the words of Luke 19.14, Luke 19.14, we will not have this man to reign over us. Oh, no. But God says in Jeremiah 3.14, Jeremiah 3.14, I am married unto you. And so when you look at uh, verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. I remember this verse pretty clearly because um, you all know about the organization called Jews for Jesus because they are Jews for Jesus and they're trying to make more Jews for Jesus. And so the Jews just don't sit back and say, okay, well, that's fine. And they make an organization called Jews for Judaism and they are Jews for Judaism and they're trying to make more Jews for Judaism, especially the ones who are Jews for Jesus. Did you all follow what I just said? Okay. So uh, this organization, Jews for Jesus, Jews for, I can't even follow it, Jews for Judaism is an anti-missionary group. And it was formed by a rabbi whose name is Benzion Kravitz, Rabbi Benzion Kravitz. He's the founder of Jews for Judaism. And I remember one time that he called me and wanted to get together, and I said, fine, come. So he came, and right downstairs in this building, we met. We, we sat down together, Rabbi Kravitz and I, and he was giving me all the reasons why Jesus was not the Messiah and how my Bible is an English Bible and it's all wrong and it's not to the true Hebrew. And oh, he was going like that. And he said, for example, let me show you. And he turned to this verse, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, And he says, look, what does your Bible say? They pierced my hands and my feet. And yeah, He says, that's not what it says in the Hebrew. Look for yourself. It says a lion was at my hands and my feet. Well, I wasn't gonna just gonna, you know, lie down and fall over dead. So I, you know, I said, Well, what do you think a lion does do when he lies at your hands and feet? Lick them, you know? And so, you know, we were, this was our conversation. Anyway. And so, but as I was doing that, you know, during our meeting, I kept thinking about it. Why does it say? They pierced my hands and my feet when the Hebrew says a lion was at my hands and my feet. It was kind of bothering me. And so all of a sudden in the meeting, it came to me, it was like a, almost like a voice that was like, the Septuagint, the Septuagint. So I said, well, what does the Septuagint say? I didn't know. So we got you know, a translation of the Septuagint, I looked it up, and it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. So, oh, look at that. Seventy Jewish rabbis got together and translated this psalm from the Hebrew to Greek, and when they got to verse 16, they said, they pierced my hands and my feet. That shows that hundreds of years before the birth of the Lord, that the common rabbinical thought for verse 16 was that the Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. And I thought, wow, that was pretty good. And then I, I turned to the rabbi, Rabbi Kravitz, and I said, you know, I could see him, and from his face I said, you knew that. You knew that all along, didn't you? You asked me a question, but you knew all along that the Septuagint had translated verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. And he kind of acknowledged he did. We didn't have a good relationship. And from that point on, it became clear to me that his goal was to draw Jewish people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought to myself, for him, truth is not important. That's not important This is in this process because the ends justify the means. Whatever you got to do. Anyway, they pierced my hands and my feet. I don't know if you're interested in that, but anyway, that was what happened. All right, now we come to the prophecy of what they did to his clothes. He's on the cross. He suffered so much physical pain. He suffered so much soul pain. He's been forsaken by God. He's had his hope in God mocked, and, and now he's hurt with this ultimate indignity of not only being stripped naked, but then watching his clothes be gambled, torn, and gambled away. What actually happened is given to us in John 19, 
23, John 19, 23, when it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let's not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and from my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldier did. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.